Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. My name is John Siegley, and I am joined by Inside Carolina, Sherelle McMillan. And then also Sean Moran is joining us again. Wanted to say, guys, thanks for joining me. Hopefully the weekend has gone as well as it could have. You know, fortunately for Carolina, it wasn't the best of times, but how are y'all doing today? Uh, doing well, John. How are you? Thanks for having having me on. Obviously trying to recover from the the uh, the result from Saturday. It's hitting everyone pretty hard, but, you know, the, the weather in North Carolina is also rainy and gloom today, so I think it matches everyone's mood. What about you, Rel? How are you feeling today, man? Doing pretty good. Appreciate you asking. No worries. All right, well, let's just get right into it then. As far as the NC State game goes, you know, it is obviously not the result Carolina wanted. But what was your impressions of the game? Sean, I'll start with you for that question. Sure. Well, you know, obviously anytime you lose to NC State, especially at home and as a 12-point as a favorite, it definitely stings. Obviously, the three-point shooting from NC State played a huge a huge part. They went 15 of 30. Uh, Torin Dorn was 4 of 7, and Al Freeman was 7 of 7. So anytime a, shoot, a team shoots like that, you're going to be in trouble. And, you know, I felt at the beginning, UNC got an early lead in the first few minutes. And I was having flashbacks to last year of, of the blowout, but NC State held on uh, that first punch and then they were able to counter and pretty much made it a dogfight the rest of the game. But anytime you let a team shoot 15 of 30 from the three-point line, you're going to be in serious trouble. Yeah, the three-point shooting was really what won it for NC State. No, that's not exactly you know, in-depth analysis there, but it was very disappointing to see. Rel, what were your thoughts, man? Yeah, that was the main thing was the the three-point disparity. I mean, it ended up being 45 points from three for NC State and 12 for North Carolina. And I don't want to beat anybody over the head with it, but we've talked about it time and time again about how North Carolina, if they're going to win, they have to make threes. And they shot 21% from three against NC State. NC State shot 50%. And you know, that was pretty much the game. You don't want to make it too simple, but that was the main thing that I think kind of sticks out. And to Sean's point, you can tell that this is a different, uh, differently coached NC State team. Uh, I think in the past, we've seen a few times where if they had gotten down 8-2 to two or 10-2 to two like they were, then, you know, that would have been lights out just, just from that first three or four minutes. But to their credit, they bounced back, they fought, and every time it looked like Carolina was about to pull the way, they were up you know, five or six, several different times in the second half, NT State always made a push. So part of it is just that NT State is a better and more well-coached team than they've been in the past. And the other part is that Carolina didn't hit any shots. One thing to add about the the three-point shooting, you know, I think anybody that was watching saw it, a lot of these times the threes were very wide open three-pointers. So they shot a high percentage, but UNC was also giving them open shots. And I was just looking at the at the shooting charts from both Virginia Tech and, and NC State. and you look in that left corner, and I think Virginia Tech went four of five, and Torn Dorn went uh, three of three from that left corner spot where UNC just on on penetration, even if it's not actually needed. And it, as a result, they're they're giving up a lot of open open threes in the area. You don't want to do so. Yeah, the corner three shot has been made incredibly more important, you know, due to just the NBA play, and it's proven to be a very effective shot, especially if you've got guys that can just drain that if they're open. I did not know, though, that Virginia Tech was also four or five from that area. That's kind of, I guess, not really surprising, but disheartening to hear. 
Yeah, that was something when I, I went back and watched watched that game, I, I noticed. And then when you go look at the shot chart, there it is. And I think it was Bibbs and, and a few other guys where NC State was just torn down. But, you know, I feel like UNC has always given that up in the past. Um, but maybe I was just kind of noticing noticing a little little more lately. Sherelle, I wanted to talk with you about Cam Johnson. I mean, his overall numbers, he was 5 for 9 from the field, but 0 for 4 from the three-point line. I don't have his numbers in front of me, but I know that his percentages have dropped off dramatically since ACC play. Is there a legitimate cause for, for concern, you think, right now with the way Cam is shooting the ball from the outside? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think after, uh, so, so let's look at it this way. Um, let's start with the team perspective and then we'll get to Cam. So I think, uh, you know, a lot of people said, okay, well, Michigan State, you know, they're a really good team. North Carolina lost to them. There's no harm in that. And then you move on to, uh, I think it was Wofford. And you're like, uh, you know, that's just one of those games where somebody gets hot. And then the game in Wake Forest at home, it's like, yeah, but they pulled it out. And then you start seeing a trend where North Carolina has not played well really at all in ACC play, save a few minutes against Clemson and then a few minutes against NC State. It's been pretty bad basketball throughout the ACC season for UNC. So I think it is cause for concern because this is a pattern you know two or three games you can rationalize away but now you're at 22 games on the season and you're at nine games excuse me yeah 22 games in the season and nine games in ACC play so you're halfway through ACC play and I think you know this is what the team looks like now they obviously they can get better but they've got to improve on some of the things that they're struggling with right now shooting Joel Berry in the lane and then that leads us to Cam Johnson, who is also struggling mightily shooting. Um, he did a good, some good things, though. I mean, he had six assists. You really like that. You would like to see him get a couple more rebounds. But I think those six assists are big, especially when Theo Pinson took on more of a scoring role in the game. So you're happy to see that from him. But I think he knows and the coaching staff knows what they really need from him is to knock down shots. And he's struggling with it right now. And, you know, shooters go through slumps. Marcus Page went through a slump. Joel Berry is going through a slump. Kenny Williams is going through a slump. It, it happens. You just have to hope that he'll continue to shoot and, you know, get some good looks. I think he's gotten a few good looks the last few games, and eventually he'll start knocking them down. You know, when you watch Cam shoot, his stroke is so pure, so you, you automatically think it's going in. And I think it will start to be more consistent down the road as he still gets gets used to the team. But Sherelle touched on it. You know, Kenny Williams and, and Joel Berry, they've been, they've been struggling. Kenny Williams is 0 for his last 10. You know, one thing in those 10 misses, a lot of the time, he's either fading back or fading to the left, fading to the right. So he's kind of altering his shot a little bit each time instead of kind of the straight, you know, smooth up and down shot. And Joel Berry, who's taken about eight threes a game, a lot of those are very contested, contested threes with, with a hand in his face. So Definitely not taking those wide open three pointers that NC State was getting the other day. And you know what happens when you miss a shot and everybody knows you're in a slump. It makes it a little harder to make the next one. And then the third one gets more difficult and, you know, it just becomes more pressure until you actually make one. And I think that's kind of what Cam is going through. But like I said, you know, he he was able to help the team in different ways. I think those are the good things. If there are any positives to take from his him and Kenny Williams' play is that Kenny Williams, um, you know, he, he rebounded. He had a couple of good layups. He had potentially a steal that could have, you know, given North Carolina a tie in overtime. So he did some good things there. And then you had Cam, who was, you know, six assists, was rebounding. But this team can't really do anything. It can't compete at a high level if it doesn't have those two knocking down shots. It just, it's not possible the way it's constructed. Well, let me ask you guys this, and Sean, I'll start with you. Do you think that given the team's struggles that, you know, potential change in the starting lineup or 
Do you think that maybe some roster adjustments might be able to ignite a fire under this team and help right some of this just poor play as of late? Uh, I mean, I definitely think so in terms of what can be done. That's that's a good question. You know, one thing I would love to see, which uh, I highly doubt we will see, but is is Theo Pinson taking on, you know, that some of the point guard responsibilities. Joel Berry has been playing in the high 30s, played 41 minutes against NC State. Jaleek Felton will come in for a few minutes here and there, but has not given, you know, Roy has not been able to trust him as much as he would like. So you have Joel Berry you know, Manny, the point guard, and would love to see Theo, especially how he's playing against NC State in, in that attack mode and dribbling, you know, dribbling to attack. Uh, if he was taking on some more of the ball handling responsibilities, given his vision, perhaps that could lead to some uh, some better shots for Kenny Williams or, or Cam Johnson. But other than that, I mean, I think, you know, Garrison Brooks and Manley have been playing well in spurts. It would be great to get some consistent output from them. Um, but, you know, Andrew Playtech played well against NC State and and Brandon Robinson has shown stretches in past games. So we'd love to just kind of see a more, you know, consistent approach and, and let some of these guys get going. But it'll be interesting to see if they do make any lineup changes, which I doubt they will just given they have their five best offensive players out there. But, you know, something something needs to be needs to be done just to kind of get them back on back on the right track. And I was just gonna say you you, uh, you hate to see the great performances from Theo Pinson and Luke May, I don't want to say wasted, but you hate to see them not able to pull out a victory when those two play so well. I mean, we've talked about it ad nauseum, but Luke May continues to be tremendous. He's just reached kind of another level. He's one now when he takes a three, you expect it to go in, but just because his shot is so pure. And then Theo, I mean, that's kind of what I think Theo's been wanting to do his whole career, kind of what some people were expecting from him, just that it looked like he was back in high school, back on the AAU circuit, just, you know, driving to the rim at will whenever he wanted to. And it showed the strength of the small lineup. Now, it also showed the deficiencies as well. The strength is that when, you know, three and fours and five switch on to Theo Pinson, he can kind of take him to the rim. The bad was is that when, on the other side, when Luke May and Joel Berry were involved in pick and roll and Luke May switched to Mark L. Johnson, then he just, you know, Luke May can't stay in front of him. And also, year seven, you know, was grabbing key rebounds, was able to score pretty easily. So I think Saturday's game actually showed you all most of the strengths, not all of them because Kenny and Cam weren't making shots, but it showed you most of the strengths of the small lineup and also showed you the weaknesses of the small lineup. Yeah, I think Yurt 7 grabbing the rebounds was what was most disheartening to me, especially in the overtime. But it's like you guys have alluded to, Carolina just doesn't really have an offensive force that they can go to in the post play. So if you put in Manley, who's a minus defender at this point, but he can rebound at least, you're losing a lot on both sides of the ball, really, if you move May or Johnson or Kenny to the bench. So I don't really know what the answer is. Personally, I would like to see maybe Felton get some more runtime, but I don't know. His his confidence just looks pretty low right now. Do you guys think that maybe uh, with the way that Felton's playing, do you guys see that maybe turning around in the future? Um, sure, I'll start with you for this one. You know, I, it, it's possible. You know, I'm a, I'm a big believer that, you know, you look at the body of work and the body of work tells you what to expect in the future. And now we have 22, as I said before, 22 games um, this season, nine ACC games that kind of tell us what we should expect from each of the players. So I wouldn't count on, 
you know, a, a ton of more minutes for Jaleek Felton. Um, whether he, whether or not he should get them, I think is another story. Part of it is we're not in practice. We're not around the team. We don't know that part of it, but from the outside looking in, it does seem that four minutes for him and 41 minutes or 40 minutes for Joel Berry is a little out of whack that it needs to maybe, you know, come to the center a little bit, maybe 34 or something for Joel and maybe 12 for Jaleek, you know, something like that. Um, so that's the consideration. But again, I, I think it, I think it kind of is what it is at this point. We're heading into February, and that's when things really get tight. So I doubt Roy Williams would do any roster expansion in February. Is I think it's going to be more constriction, and you're going to see 35, 36 minutes for the starters, and then you're going to see four or five minutes for Playtech, four or five minutes for Manley, four or five minutes from Brooks, four or five minutes from Felton, and that's how they're going to go. And just going to you know those five guys are where they're going to go with. Yeah, I was hoping when when Felton got his basket, I was I was hoping that was gonna kind of ignite him or you know potentially give him some some more playing time because I think you know while while definitely frustrating at times and he can do some boneheaded things on both offensive and defensive end, athletically and talent wise, you know there was a reason he was a, a high five star recruit and would love to to see him be an addition to this team and, and really help them uh, with some scoring and, and playmaking ability off the bench. But as Terrell said, you know, we're in the heart of ACC play uh, halfway, halfway through and probably not going to be uh, completely revamping who's getting, who's getting the minute. So I just kind of hope little by little his confidence up um, and just kind of be able to hit a, hit a three uh, every now and then, or, or be able to get a steal and, and some easy baskets just to get him, him motivated and, and playing well. Just And just to be clear, there are two questions here. There are, will he get more playing time and should he get more playing time? I can't answer the second one because, again, we're not in practice. We're not around the team. We don't see what happens outside of the lights. We can, I think we can safely answer number one, will he get more playing time? I think we can say probably not. Um, maybe you know, just incremental more, maybe two or three minutes more. But I don't think there's going to be this sudden change where his minutes spike all of a sudden just because we've seen how Roy Williams has handled the team, and that's just not in the cards, I don't think. Well, and then we were talking about three-point shooting earlier, and I'm trying to pull up the numbers right now, but just to my eyes, you know, Jalik can stroke a three-point shot. I mean, I think that's one of his strengths, and what's honestly surprised me the most is how well he shoots the ball from the outside. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of one of those that would be a proponent of trying to maybe play Jalik and, and Joel at the same time, or, you know, Jalik and Theo even, but I think the downside is what you said, Sherelle, you're losing a lot on defense because he does make those boneheaded plays. You even said that as well, Sean. So I don't know, but I think if you're looking for more offense, you know, Jalik, at least if there's one thing he can do, he can shoot the ball. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing that he hasn't really been able to get into a groove. Uh, you know, he hasn't hit a three-pointer in ACC play, so he hasn't hit a three uh, since he he really exploded against Ohio State. But as Sherelle mentioned earlier, you know, if you only get one shot and you miss that shot, it's very it's very easy to go several games of zero for one, zero for two. You know, when you don't have when you know you're not going to be getting that volume, and it really all comes down to just just that one shot that you take. And then a lot of times, if you know you you know you know you're only going to be in for a few minutes, it's natural. It's just human nature to be like, well, I, I want to shoot or I want to be involved. And so sometimes you might not take the best shot because you know what's coming. So I, I think all of this is cyclical, and I think it all runs together. It's like this big circle of Joel Berry's minutes, you know, struggling with on-ball defense. Joel Berry hitting the ground nine or ten times a game. 
being frustrated with himself, being frustrated with things not going the way he wants, being frustrated that, you know, the team isn't playing better and him just wanting to improve with Jalik wanting to come in and play well, but Roy Williams not fully trusting him yet as he's shown by the minutes he's getting, which goes right back to Joel Berry being back in the game, being tired, and it just goes in a circle. We'll go ahead and take our commercial break right now, and we get back. I wanted to shift the discussion to talk about recruiting. So when we get back, we'll bring that up. Stay tuned. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Hey, and we are back. This is the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Cheryl McMillan and Sean Moran. Guys, for the second half of this podcast, I wanted to talk about the basketball recruiting aspect. Obviously, a lot of Carolina fans, well, probably almost everybody, knows that Zion Williamson selected Duke, which means that Carolina right now is still is back in the evaluation mode for some more guys for the 2019 class. One name that's popped up is EJ Montgomery, and I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on that. When we had the big recruiting podcast maybe about two weeks ago now, his name was brought up, and you know we talked a little bit about him. But, um, Sean, I think you've seen Montgomery a little bit. What kind of player do you think he is? as far as, you know, what Carolina might be looking for in this class. Yeah, uh, we did touch on EJ Montgomery a few weeks ago initially. And, you know, since then, Hubert got to watch him. And, um, you know, I know Roy was thinking about going to watch him this week, but but didn't make it down there. And as one of the few five stars left on the board, uh, he's definitely an in- intriguing prospect. I got to watch him a lot, uh, especially as a freshman and sophomore. Uh, my first time seeing him was at the USA Invitational, where. Uh, he was a freshman, so he hadn't even played a high school game, and he was competing against a lot of the other top freshmen. And at that point in time, people were trying to figure out, okay, who's you know who are the top top freshmen we should watch? And the names mentioned were EJ Montgomery and and Bagley. And after that weekend, it was clear there was a you know a, a big difference between how good Bagley was and the rest of the class. But EJ Montgomery at that time, you know, he was about six eight rail thin a lot of kind of Tayshawn Prince comparisons just because of his his lefty or kind of his shooting stroke and his frame he's still you know now about 6'10 still only 200 pounds so still thin but he's definitely been able to add some add some muscle and I think he's also been able to gain a lot of confidence uh, over the past few years as well as he was always pretty shy and and reserved but as a player you know say he decided to come to UNC I think he would be one of those players that you know, could could play in the post and could guard in the post like a normal kind of Roy Williams big, but could also really step out to, I'd say, you know, 15 to 17 feet and present a viable, viable threat. So I think as a, as a player, he'd be really intriguing for Carolina. Now, obviously, the question is how interested are they and who are they going to have to go against to get him? Since, as we've seen in the past, you know, as, as these players you know, start to go go farther down the road, it seems that they become more popular 
in everyone's eyes and maybe a little better than than what people think. So it'll be very interesting to see who gets involved and how aggressive Coach Williams and the UNC staff is if they decide to pursue him. But as as far as UNC, I think he could definitely be a strong addition next year with his with his shooting ability and size. And I made a mistake earlier. I said that um, EJ was in the 2019 class. He's in the 2018. So that's my fault. I just can't do math. (laughs) And then Sherelle, so I wanted to ask your thoughts on this. When you're looking at Carolina's current commitments and the two in particular, Kobe White and Nasir Little, how do you think EJ Montgomery would fit in with those two already committed prospects for the 2018 class? Oh, I, I mean, I, we can do all, you know, all three. I think he'd fit in all, with all three of them because he's, you know, a different position. He's kind of a different player. He has the inside-outside game that actually would go well. I mean, he he he's very advanced already offensively, which I think North Carolina, you know, they need that in the post. It's something that the the fans and, and people who follow you and see are hopeful that Sterling Manley and Garrison Brooks continue to progress throughout this season and through the offseason. But adding someone like Montgomery would would really help them out, I think, some more as well. And then, you know, you would expect Luke May uh, to be back at Carolina next year, and he's showing what he can do. I mean, he's an, he's an elite scorer in the ACC. We just had 32, second 30-point game this season. So I think he would fit in well. Nasir slots more as a three who can play some small ball four if necessary. Um, so he'd be on the wing. I think Leakey, they're, they're still kind of, determining where he's going to play. But I, I do think he can play some point guard. So I think he will start off, you know, in, in the backcourt. And then I think Kobe will have a chance to play, you know, kind of a combo guard role where he's playing some point guard and playing some two, perhaps behind Kenny Williams or perhaps starting. So I, I think it, it's a perfect fit in that it doesn't overlap with anyone. His skill set would be pretty different from any, his skill set in size and athleticism will be pretty different from anyone on the roster. So it, it would be an addition, a great addition, but, you know, they they have to go through some tough competition. The, the usuals, Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, all those, all those schools. Um, in addition to the home state schools in Georgia and then some other SEC schools. And when you're ranked as high as Montgomery and have that profile that he does, then you're going to get everybody's attention when you haven't signed yet. And it's already February. So it's going to be tough for North Carolina should they get more seriously involved. But again, he would be a great addition. Well, that was actually where I was going to go next with um, Sean. You mentioned that Carolina would have some competition for EJ and then um, Rel just listed off a couple schools there. But who do you think are the schools that are currently, I guess, among the favorites for EJ? Because I have not seen if he's even put out a list at this point. But who would you say are the schools that, you know, Carolina would face the stiffest competition for if they were to seriously get involved in his recruitment? Well, it's uh, probably not a name anybody wants to hear, uh, especially after the Zion Williamson commitment. But I think Duke might be getting interested in EJ, you know, how. How he would fit in with with what they already have, that I don't know, but it does seem like they're starting to target him more heavily. You know, he he's played on the Adidas circuit, so I'm not sure what his his relationship is with with the other guys, and you know, he he's had his fair share of disappointments uh, in the USA process, so probably not as tight, you know, with any of them as as maybe Zion was. But obviously, anytime Duke is getting in with a top five player, uh, they you know, been hitting hitting home runs every time past few years. And I think Kentucky, given just given how they've been kind of playing this this season and their roster construction that that I'm sure Calipari is, is going to be looking for high level talent. So, you know, it could be one of those, you know, Jalen Brown type commitments where you have your Kentuckys and your top schools and then you have, you know, you have a smaller local school in there as well. But 
I don't think he has a, a specific list and, and seems to be kind of taking it slow ever since he decommitted from Auburn. But North Carolina, the Dukes start to get involved. It should come down to a, you know, a, a big battle between, between them, depending on who's interested. Yeah, it is definitely disappointing to hear that Duke might be interested because, as you said, Sean, they are batting at just almost an insanely high level when they're going after these top-tier recruits. But if Carolina were to get involved in this, how do you think Carolina's chances may fare on this one It should they try to go all-in for EJ? I mean, I think if they do decide to go all-in, that they would definitely have a chance. Now, you know, they haven't haven't won any of these uh, recruitments over the past few years when it comes down to a, a Duke or Kentucky and, and a, a very drawn-out process. But I still remember uh, going back to the USA camp when, when he was a freshman, uh, chatting with his, his father, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was a North Carolina connection in the family. And I remember his father saying, they, oh, you know, they'd definitely be interested in, in hearing from Carolina. And as I got to watch Montgomery as a freshman and sophomore at, at USA High School and the AU circuit, you know, I'd always interview him. And those first two years, I probably talked to him, you know, 10 to 20 times. And, you know, I'd always try to see it had UNC, you know, started their interest in him and, and they never had. So he, he kind of knew me as the, the Carolina guy that would always, you know, always inquire about, about Carolina. So <laughs> I'm kind of happy that they're getting involved now and, you know, it'll definitely be tough, but I, I think he would definitely be interested um, in hearing their pitch and, and seeing how he, how he could fit in with their team. And we'll go ahead and close out the podcast here with this one. And, and we'll start with you, Sherelle. Are there any other names in the 2018 class that you think Carolina fans maybe want to start listening for over these next couple of months? No, honestly, not not at the moment. You know, if I had to bet, I'd say they were done. You know, we'll see what happens with Montgomery. But I think Carolina fans should take solace in the fact that this is the best recruiting class that UNC has had in four years, that all three guys can, you know, be contributors, I think, even next season, depending upon who returns and, and all those decisions that are going to be made after the season. So I think Carolina fans should should take solace in that, take solace in the fact that Manley and Brooks are going to improve, take solace in the fact that Luke May is really good, and take solace in the fact that Kenny is a, a very solid player. So, you know, after the NC State game, because I didn't think UNC fans aren't used to you know, losing, losing to NC State. State. That, yeah, they're not used <laughs> to that very often. I think um, you saw a little bit of a overreaction. And I don't always, I don't say that to be condescending at all, but just that, you know, NC State is, is a better team than they were last year. And that's one of the reasons that happened. So I'm not sure how you asking about additional names in 2018 ended up there, but uh, that's what I would say. No additional names in 2018 and that North Carolina has three very talented players coming in next season. Would you echo those sentiments, Sean? Yeah, I mean, when you look at the the 2018 listing, just in their top 50, there's only a few uncommitted players. You know, one of them who I love watching, Javon Quinterly. Obviously, he was wrapped up in FBI scandal, so I don't think they'll be looking to to really, you know, add another a, a point guard or, or somebody like him. But I would say, you know, as we start to get into March, it'll probably be interesting to see if if they do potentially target any any grad school transfers. You know, just that are coming in in for a year. Those names start to get floated around, you know, probably in the, in the next month as to as to what players from, you know, some of the low major or mid-major schools are starting to, you know, seek some attention. But I would say that would be the only course of, of action besides Montgomery where we might see another possible addition. But for that, we have a ways to go to see if anything materializes. And let me add too, I, I should have, I, sh- I didn't, when I said no additions, I didn't mean to say that's 100% stone cold lead pipe locked that there were going to be no additions. What I should have said is that 
more uh, from my vantage point, from what I'm, I'm looking at right now, I don't think there will be. I'm sure they may have a shot with Montgomery, but it's it's more of a long shot, I would say, at this point, just because we don't know who his finalists are. I mean, he could put out a finalist list in North Carolina and not even be on there. We, we don't know. And then the other thing is that they do monitor people who ask out of their national letter of intent, people who, as Sean said, you know, grad transfers, that kind of thing. Because if you think about it, the last three classes, North Carolina's added somebody, or two of the last three classes, North Carolina's added somebody like Kenny Williams signed after he was let out of his letter of intent from VCU. Uh, Garrison Brooks signed after he was let out of his letter of intent from Mississippi State. And then Cameron Johnson signed after he, as a grad transfer from Pittsburgh. So they do monitor that stuff. So I shouldn't say there will not be additions because we don't know that part of it. Just that among the people that we know, um, I think it's it's questionable at best. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that sentiment. But hey, guys, I definitely appreciate all the insight. Feel that this was a good pod. I mean, it's always tough coming off a loss to NC State, but you know, hopefully, anyone listening to this can kind of take a little bit of solace. So, thank you, guys. Thanks, John. I uh, really enjoyed talking to both you and Sherell, and and hopefully, we see Carolina go two and two and zero this week. Definitely agree with that. All right, everyone, we'll talk with you guys again soon. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.